Hi everyone, I just wanted to take a second to thank everyone for listening. This episode, for Chapter 7, is the halfway point for the book and the audiobook podcast. Six down and then six to go after this one. I'm so grateful to everyone who's ordered a paperback copy, who's told me about their experience of listening, and everyone who's texted and sent screenshots as they follow along. All of it brings such a smile to my face and such joy to my heart, not because of any quantity-related goals, but because the love and care I feel when sharing this work engages you on some level. I can't thank you enough, and I'd love to hear from anyone and everyone who's listening. You are all the best, and you all reaffirm my desire to do what's fun and meaningful and simply share it as best as I can. Thank you. All right, let's start the show. Welcome, and here, here. This is Here, Here, my audiobook podcast. I'm Dan Masterton, and I'm reading to you from my fiction story, What There Is to Be Done. I'm excited to share this with you one chapter at a time. If you're interested in getting your hands on a paperback copy of the book, visit my link tree at linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. Just follow the directions and complete the form, and I'll send your copy. You can also check out my other writing there. If you're interested in reaching out, I'd love to hear from you. Find me on Twitter at thisladdan, or drop an email to dmastert at alumni.nd.edu. All right, you hit play, so it's time to hear here. If you're driving or running or working, I'm glad to be along with you. Maybe grab a drink later? If you're somewhere safe, raise a glass and toast a blessing to our Catholic schools, our students and teachers, and our imperfect but faithful endeavor to teach the faith. I'll join you. Here, here. Cheers and enjoy. The year was winding down at MMOGHS. Teresa was cursing the name a little bit. Mary, mother of God on high school. AP tests had come and gone. She would find out from her students what they had scored in short order, and she felt pretty solid about the caliber of teaching and test prep she had worked into the year to prepare them well. But with that hump in the road now crested, with things at the school now dripping with end-of-the-year apathy, with seniors out of the hallways following their early finals and graduation, there was a lot less to distract Teresa from the lack of resolution in her life on this anarchic Friday. It was almost the end of May, a full six weeks after her job review, a full six weeks after she was offered a new position. On a personal level, it had been four solid weeks since she had felt any doubts or any reasons to revisit her decision. Ever since that Sunday at Mass, she hadn't moved off a strong onset of clarity, that this moment was a clear invitation, a moment to switch lanes and dedicate herself more specifically to building community and to facilitating thoughtful and faithful encounters for and with her students. She was ready to accept the job. She had emailed Francis a few times, only after the third cage-rattling note had Francis replied, asking simply if Teresa could hold off on scheduling a meeting. Francis didn't exactly say why. Teresa suspected issues with job reviews, with budgeting and enrollment and class loads, with interviews and hiring, or some combo of those things. Bits of doubt crept in that maybe they were revisiting promoting her, but her anti-screw-tape impulse beat that back. Her strongest suspicion was that Frances simply didn't have herself together the way she sort of did when job reviews began. 
and now Francis was treading water and couldn't stabilize things enough even to formalize a job acceptance. Teresa had thought about going rogue. Do I ambush her in her office and just accept guerrilla style? Do I just write a more formal email or an old school letter and accept in writing? Do I try to use Father James or Mike to get to her indirectly? Ultimately, she wasn't confident that any of those other ideas were the right path. Teresa opted to be impatiently patient. She definitely wasn't patiently impatient. Even beyond that primary issue, Teresa had the underlying quandary of whether or not to share with people that she was ready to accept. What if they pulled the offer? What if she talked to someone who is not being asked to return, and that person got offended, jealous, or critical of her? What if she bumped into someone else who was now being considered? What if she caught wind of someone having some inside knowledge or hearsay about what was going on? It was harder to fight off old screw tape here. It was getting heavier to have a pretty conclusive level of certainty within, and a desire to close the deal while also having to keep it to herself. After a lot of thought, and a long week of trying to sell juniors on finishing strong, despite the AP test being in their rearview mirrors, she asked Mike if he wanted to get a beer after school that Friday. Mike was free and quite happy to move their social time outside the walls. He was feeling good about having gotten his department to the front of the line for reviews. His teachers were glad to have finished those conversations with the boss and have gained a better sense of their standing and all but explicit security in returning for the next year. However, Mike, too, was in a holding pattern. Francis had not yet convened the department heads for a final staffing conversation to set broad numbers and get them to work on teaching loads. These numbers were needed so the counselors and registrars could set to work on new academic year schedules and so the business office could write and distribute new contracts. The delays were not good for anyone, and the unknowns just seemed to compound and stress people far and wide. Let's get the fork out of here, Mike said. It was four o'clock. The after-school rush of students, which was smaller but more desperate these days, had waned for good for the year. Mike and Teresa were the last ones in the department office, and they were glad to sling their bags over their shoulders and duck out. On their way out toward the main doors, they saw Frances entering the administrative offices. She looked frazzled and riled up. They waved a wordless farewell toward her from a distance as they exited the doors, and as far as they could tell, she didn't even notice. Mike and Teresa caravaned a few minutes down the road to the double roundabout, a little pub that a few Irish expats ran. The Guinness was unfortunately the American imported variety, but the food and the people were authentic Irish. They walked in and grabbed a big circular booth around a little cut barrel table. Tossing their bags down and grabbing the drink menus was a bit of a ritualistic relief. Dennis, the bartender, approached their table. He knew their faces, knew they were teachers, but never remembered their names. What are you having then, he asked. They ordered a pair of Smittix pints and some curry sauce and chips to share. Dennis brought the drink straight away and promised the chips soon. Mike reached for the stack of beat-up cardboard promotional coasters and tossed her one. He grabbed his own drink and raised it. First year of AP U.S. history tests. Done. Cheers, pal, Mike toasted. Teresa smiled, and they clinked their glasses and enjoyed that glorious first sip of post-workweek relief. She exhaled. Mike bounced his head back and forth mildly to shake off the week. Sorry, big guy, but I'm going to make you talk about work here, Teresa started, with a smidge of condescension. I live to serve, Mike sniped. I sense we have a common subject to discuss, he added dryly, while diving right into that second sip of beer. Teresa shot him a knowing glance and began to pontificate, adding a mild air of silliness to take the edge off underlying frustrations. Our dear, dear Francis, a woman of faith, a woman of love and compassion, a woman of mystery, Mike cut her off, disorganization. Generally, I do love her, but damn it if her downside isn't really clobbering things this year. 
Teresa laughed, as Mike wasn't one to vent or snap, and this, even if not really that close, was about as close as he'd come. You know, I'm usually all for positive thinking and affirmation. It's so easy to smack talk a school administrator, and it's often just beating a dead horse or being lazy and petty. But this year feels worse than usual. And I was hopeful when the admins came out of the shoot post-Easter, ready to get things rolling into next year. Now when I talk to my friends at other schools, they're just laughing. They've had signed contracts for next year in their drawers for weeks. I cannot imagine the stress this creates for you and the chair people. And the way it compounds, the longer it goes. I mean, you guys have your pay bump above the scale for being chairs, but it doesn't come with a year-round contract. You don't want to be there gritting things out in July, working for free when you've been on summer break for weeks, Teresa said. It is not great, Mike declared, continuing to enjoy his beverage. How's morale among the chairs, she asked. I haven't attended the last few cloak and dagger summits, Mike joked. My tunic is dirty and it hasn't come back from the cleaners. Mike occasionally waded into the waters of venting and gossip among the faculty as a way of keeping his ear to the ground, but he was generally skeezed out by such complaint fests. As he finished his dark joke, he realized Dennis had approached with the chips and curry sauce. Rather than placing the food down, Dennis had frozen still just a few feet from the table and gawked motionlessly at Mike. I thought you were teachers for feck's sake, Dennis commented. Mike started to nervously chuckle. Dennis slung the plate onto their table and laughed a belly laugh. He slapped Mike on the back and spun to walk away. Mike nervously ate a fry. But seriously, sometimes the chair people will end up gathered in one of the offices or chatting by the cars, and like, everyone needs to vent once in a while, but it turns into some sort of a mean girl's burn book writing. I can't handle the vitriol. I try to keep up appearances a little when I see people because, I mean, I am frustrated too, and we are all in it together in a way, Mike described. But damn, we don't need to pile on the poor woman, and the bitching doesn't help. Once a little bit of steam has been blown off. If anything, it makes people dig their heels in more against Francis if and when she gets this all done. Teresa nodded, sipping her beer. She was with Mike each step of the way. She was getting pretty fed up with the holding pattern and disorganization, but she tried really hard to separate the current situation from the woman behind it. Francis was a good, faithful, dedicated person who was just apparently overwhelmed. Teresa dipped a fry into a whole mess of sauce and chomped on it. She was also thinking about the things they don't know. I'm glad to hear you're staying even keeled. I think sometimes people can get a little too excited about preparing their torches and pitchforks. We don't need to devolve into some sort of angry mob. We're part of a school that serves students and families. We deserve to be dealt with in a timely, communicative fashion, and that is not happening this go-around. But that shouldn't prompt such grumbling, Teresa insisted, thinking of the perennial complaining that Moses and God weathered in the desert en route to the promised land. I always worry, while hoping for the best, that there's something more significant that we don't know that's really weighing things down. They continued eating and drinking while they chewed on the situation. You're exactly right. And there will inevitably be folks who will start murmurs of half-truths and suspicions that may or may not be based in any sort of reality, Mike replied. It may already be happening. It's one of the reasons I try to stay out of those gaggles. Whether or not those rumors have any truth to them, I don't want any part of that seeping into my mind. I prefer to trust and to believe that we'll know things when we should know them. If we want to know everything immediately, we can go get degrees and licenses and become principals or something. Teresa was grateful for this preamble to her main reason for going out to the bar. Mike was an honest broker who could call it like he sees it, without being an ass or a biased observer. Teresa appreciated having emotionally mature men in her life who could have these sorts of conversations with her. Ever since high school, she had bonded well with boys in non-romantic ways, 
since for whatever reasons her personality and thought processes sometimes meshed better with them than the girls her age. She was grateful that she could relate well. It likely helped make her a good girlfriend and then wife to John, who appreciated a woman who was sensitive to emotion but had a firm level of control, who could watch a football game with some active knowledge, who could challenge him to be active in his faith and to be an actively good person in his workplace, while also affirming his quiet, steady presence. It also helped her find this healthy connection with Mike, her dear, crusty old work spouse. Their dynamic was not unlike that of an old platonic married couple. However, over the years, they had gained the ability to read each other's professional minds a bit. Sometimes that meant that just knowing glances and half-sentences could communicate everything they needed to say in the office. Other times, it meant that a polite invitation to the pub was understood to be a mandatory attendance event at the Barrel Roundtable. We'll get back to the book shortly, but first, when our adoration chapels reopen, our hearts may be willing, but our flesh and knees may be weak. But don't worry, because now there's adoration knee pads. The knee padding, support, and protection designed specifically for supplicants. Now you won't have to resort to being one of those lamos who sits in a chair while adoring the risen Lord. Adoration knee pads are the only worship aid approved by back row volleyball players, professional union tile setters, extreme athletes, and landscape gardeners. You'll have as much joint support as a 350-pound offensive lineman and the same quality of protection he supplies to his star quarterback. Adoration knee pads, making sure that every knee will bow. I'm not on Instagram, and I'm a selective poster and moderate lurker on Facebook where I share the Restless Heart blog posts. But I'm most active on Twitter, where I actually really enjoy the Catholic presence of many thoughtful and faithful people. I want to recommend a few of my favorite follows to you here. This week, I invite you to follow Josh Nome. Josh tweets at Gardenome, G-A-R-D-E-N-O-E-M. Josh is an accomplished writer and editor. For his day job, he is the senior editor for Grotto Network, a digital refuge and place to recharge online that strives to share the beauty of church life with the world. Josh is also a novelist who wrote an award-winning novel, The End of Ending, a story about beer, baseball, and the resurrection of the dead, a book I loved reading that helped me have the confidence and excitement to pursue this project here. Josh is also a thoughtful man of faith and a husband and father and will bless your feed with wit and wisdom. Follow Josh at Gardenome, G-A-R-D-E-N-O-E-M. Speaking of becoming an administrator, Mike continued, Teresa grinned. I want it, Mike, and not just in a detached, tentative, preliminary way. I'm there. I'm ready to accept. And I can't pin Francis down to accept it, she said. I thought about emailing it in or stopping her in the hallway, and it just doesn't feel right. Ooh, Mike exhaled. That's exciting, but what a buzzkill. What a confusing position. Mike took just a moment to chase the mixed emotion with a fresh sip of beer. It's an honor and compliment to be offered, and now you're kind of flapping in the breeze. It's like if an Olympic athlete won their event and then had to wait for their medal ceremony, and they knew there was no podium set up, no flags ready, no crowd gathered, no medals and flowers laid out. It's like your big moment is gone before it was even being prepared. Teresa's eyes widened, and she ate several fries all at once. It feels weird to feel like I'm begging to accept a job I was offered, Teresa admitted as she chewed. I don't feel like I can share that I've been offered the job and that I intend to accept. 
There's just so much uncertainty around us, and I'm scared of what people will say or do in response. I get that. Looks and feels like a virtually no-win situation. But I think at least a few people sort of know or have their inferences that you're the successor to Joanne. It doesn't mean you want to go around broadcasting things before they're official, but it may surprise fewer people than you think, Mike diagnosed. That may be, but I feel like I still have to mostly keep it to myself, Teresa replied. She decided to come up for air for a second. It felt good to share her convictions, even if they came with attached trepidation. Teresa sipped her beer and checked her phone. John had texted her to see how she was enjoying her after-work drinks. She was confused. Huh, John just texted asking how we're doing. I hadn't even mentioned I was here. I figured I'd still beat him home from work and would just tell him I'd been hanging with you then, she said. Mike laughed. Am I not allowed to be friends with your husband too, he asked innocently. Teresa flashed a smile of intrigue and gladness. She was delighted. Of course she'd like her spouse spouse and her work spouse to be friends. It felt a little like worlds colliding, but she certainly welcomed it. John and I traded numbers a few months back, around the Christmas party at work, Mike explained. Occasionally he'll tip me off if he thinks you're especially stuck on something about work. And once in a while, I'll let him know that you might be bringing something extra happy or sad into the house when you come home from school. Her delight remained, but now her eyebrow was raised. These boys had a back-channel hotline? She couldn't resist feeling a little flattered before the guilt seeped in and overwhelmed that. Am I that high-maintenance? Did they do this because I was getting to be too much, she wondered? Ugh, again comes screw tape. Get lost. You boys, she started as she gathered herself to dismiss that excessive doubt. That is very sweet. I can't believe you guys, and yet I can. Okay, so you heads up, Tim, that we were grabbing a beer. I actually appreciate that. How deeply in cahoots are you guys, she wondered, sort of rhetorically, but sort of wanting to know the depths of this conspiracy. I mean, we respect the boundaries. John doesn't want to be all up in our business at work, and I certainly want to stay well out of your marriage. But it's just little tips that help two guys look out for each other and look out for you, Mike explained. A light bulb went off in Teresa's head. That day, after Easter, I had a weird, weird day, and then Tony ripped me behind my back but in front of you. You disciplined him and told me. And you told John, too. Mike couldn't squelch the grin. He had been perfectly fine trading texts with John on the down low, but now that she was pulling the thread, Mike allowed it to unravel a bit and took a morsel of credit. I had to. I knew the day had gotten to you, and that was a real crummy way to end it and pile it all on top of you. I know you make your way to peace eventually, but I wanted to make sure John was ready to help, and I didn't want to stick my nose in on your evenings and weekends, so I text my tip line and put it in his hands. It's just what I felt I needed to do. Teresa was mostly smiling and shaking her head in welcome disbelief on the outside, but inside she was a little metaphorically misty-eyed at the quality of these two guys. You magnificent bastards, she pronounced. He was late getting home because he called in a carryout from our favorite place and brought home my go-to happy dinner. I mean, I texted him too, but you got him a head start. Teresa was wrapping her head around this happy discovery with suffusive delight now. So now you got me wondering when John is tipping you off, she said. Mike's smile had grown, and she could tell that it wasn't just because he had nothing more to hide. What did he... when did... She stopped to think because she couldn't figure out how to interrogate him. Okay, okay, Mike started. Ever since winter break ended, we would check in a little bit. At first, John just wondered aloud to me about Joanne and how her role would be filled, and if I saw the dots connecting you to it. I told him it was definitely possible, but I had no inside knowledge to go off of. I was just matching your gifts and passions with a need that would come up with hiring season. Then, further into spring, he described how he could see how strongly you were drawn to the potential 
and how it felt to him like there was a fit and a moment. He was just telling me how it looked to him, but I had the same thoughts. Hearing his perspective and seeing you in action all these years, and especially this year, I wanted to see if I could help it along, he explained. Teresa was hanging on each word. Normally she wasn't wild about conversations that centered so much on her, but in her delight came a piece that was only focused on the love and companionship of these guys. Part of that was that her inner emotions were starting to appear on her face more than before. I knew job reviews were coming in April, so before we got lost in Holy Week and Easter, I started the conversation with Frances. She hadn't even started to figure out who, when, or how with all of it. I just suggested starting after Easter, take that first week to lock in schedules and bring in the teachers on the next Monday. She was all for it, and in gratitude for suggesting it, she offered to have my, my department go first. I was delighted to accept, and I immediately thought of getting you in there early. Before we even wrapped up that conversation, because I know Frances, I switched gears on a dime. I wasn't walking out of her office without planting the seed, Mike said. Teresa was not an emotionally demonstrative person. When she needed to cry, she preferred to cry on her own, or maybe with John, long after the fact and away from anyone's sight. The tears had broken the dam now, but she felt able to keep them minimal. The first few snuck out of her eyes and dripped down her cheeks quietly. Oh, come on, Mike exclaimed, noticing the output. Ugh, he exhaled. I just told her you had established yourself so well in the classroom with the clubs, with the students, and that I thought you were uniquely suited to step into Joanne's job after she retired. Mike had said his piece and was gathered now. He added, it was all you. We had your back, but your work made it happen. Teresa wore a small smile, reduced in size a bit by the facial contortions that helped limit her tears. She wasn't afraid of the crying and preferred to embarrass Mike only a little bit. He had gotten a smidge emotional at the end, even if not tearful, and they shared an understated, tender moment over their plate of curry chips. As Teresa picked up her beer, she leaned it across the table toward him and simply said, Thank you. They clinked their glasses. Mike nodded gently to acknowledge her, and the two took a hearty swig of beer. Dennis came to check on them, and they agreed that one happy drink was fun enough for this Friday. Teresa insisted on picking up the tab, forcing her extended hand toward Dennis with her card before Mike could complain or intervene. Dennis came back with the bill, which she signed with a healthy tip before the two of them parted for their cars. The most efficient path from the double roundabout back to Teresa's home was only about 15 minutes, but she impulsively decided to add a little detour that would stretch her drive an extra 5 or 10 minutes. She turned left instead of right out of the pub parking lot to cut over a little ways from her straight line route. She made her right off the main road and snaked in toward a large parking lot. It was just about 5.30 p.m., but in June, that meant there was plenty of sun left in the day. So as she parked in a distant spot of a mostly empty lot, the sun had sunk lower in the sky but hadn't yet begun to tint the sky with sunset oranges and pinks. She opened her door, stepped out, and kicked her shoes off. Then Teresa climbed onto the hood of her car. It was not so old that it gave the appearance of crapping out soon, but it was not so new that she didn't feel like she could sit on it. Not unlike the way you might recline at a drive-in movie theater, Teresa sprawled across the hood and windshield of her car, her head inclined just enough so that she was looking partially at the sky and partially at the building in front of her. Mary, Mother of God, Catholic High School. Teresa Acutis, Director of Student Life, she wondered. It wasn't so much an open question anymore, as far as her own interests and convictions were concerned. She wanted it, and she knew she did. She wondered about the prospect, and now the offer had been made. As she stared at the school where she had been working for years, now she was asking the school itself. Did Francis still want her for this? Did Francis ever want her? 
Had Frances changed her mind and not shared the change yet? Tough to say for sure, but Teresa felt like the offer was authentic and still on the table, even if she was living in limbo without fresh reassurance of that. Did the faculty and staff support her? Did they think she could do it? Would they respect and appreciate her work in this role? She felt like she enjoyed a good reputation, one that she had earned, but the jaded words of a crotchety veteran colleague still pinballed around in her mind. Did the students want her? Would they meet any administrator, pastoral or distant, with a good deal of skepticism? Would she have the chance to be herself and show she wanted to support them and advocate for them? She knew kids like Brad and Krista would help her build credibility and get settled, yet there were so many students and so many clubs she was totally clueless about. She took a deeper breath and let her gaze drift upwards, tilting the ratio of her view heavily toward the sparsely cloudy sky. Teresa thought of the haunts of Uncle Screwtape, the traps and snares of Wormwood. This year had shown her how she could be susceptible to obsessing over the harshest, most negative bits that invaded her peace and joy. As Teresa started to look up, she felt like the weight of those doubts and criticisms receded to an appropriate level. Ultimately, she didn't want to totally dismiss those impulses because, when properly harnessed, they can be a healthy form of self-scrutiny and reflection. She wasn't dismissing the realities of students who didn't listen or teachers who act or speak immaturely, but their impact couldn't exceed what was reasonable. Teresa felt, as she stared over top of her workplace and community home, that the real and challenging emotions of those barbs remained, but lingered only in as much as she knew them, honored them, confronted them, and then mixed them into the crockpot to dissolve their sting into the greater depths. Teresa had been uplifted, not just by affirmations and faithful conversations, but by carefully and prayerfully processing the good and the bad, to bring things into proportion and perspective. Her campus ministers had pointed her toward gifts, her joys, and the needs before her. Her spiritual director had steered her from excessive self-doubt and toward the real joy and intrigue of the opportunity before her. Her husband had clarified the magnetism of this invitation and helped her find peace with their familial and parental hope. The careful, thoughtful approach she assembled was paving a path on which she could make her growth happen. The sun was gently moving lower in the sky, but it was setting on only one day. Teresa was coming to the end of a chapter of searching and finding and responding. The conclusion was to one season's worth of movement, but tomorrow would rise on another season anew. Teresa was breathing easy. There was a lightness to knowing she had done all that she could do, and that she had been propelled and graced along her way by the Spirit and its movement through Christ and her companions. Her phone buzzed. She unlocked the screen and read a text from John. Just got home. How you coming? She tapped to reply. I'm on the way. Well, that's all for this week. Remember, if you want to grab a paperback copy of the book, visit my link tree at linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. Just follow the directions and complete the form, and I'll send your copy. You can also check out my other writing there. Finally, thank you for listening. May God bless you and all our Catholic school communities. And to you and your prayers and toasts, hear, here.
The guitar instrumentals on this podcast are improvised and performed by Jason Pham. This book and podcast are copyright Dan Masterton 2021, all rights reserved.